0: Story 11 of Battles for the Stars In Space Ed Reach Short Sci-Fi, Volume 3 Keep Your Shape by Robert Sheckley Part 2 At the edge of the woods, Gurr turned himself into a facsimile of a dog. Pid inspected him carefully. A little less tail, he said. Gurr shortened his tail. More ears. Gurr lengthened his ears. Now, even them up, they became even. Pid inspected the finished product. As far as he could tell, Gurr was perfect, from the tip of his tail to his wet black nose. Good luck, Pid said. Thanks. Cautiously, Gur moved out of the woods, walking in the lurching style of dogs and men. At the gate, the guard called to him. Pid held his breath. Gurr walked past the man, ignoring him. The man started to walk over, "'Gurr broke into a run. "'Pid shaped a pair of strong legs for himself, "'ready to dash if Gurr was caught, "'but the guard turned back to his gate. "'Gurr stopped running immediately "'and strode quietly toward the main door of the building. "'Pid dissolved his legs with a sigh of relief "'and then tensed again. "'The main door was closed. "'Pid hoped the radio man wouldn't try to open it. "'That was not in the nature of dogs. "'As he watched, Another dog came running toward Gur. Gur backed away from him. The dog approached and sniffed. Gur sniffed back. Then both of them ran around the building. That was clever, Pitt thought. There was bound to be a door in the rear. He glanced up at the afternoon sun. As soon as the displacer was activated, the Grom armies would begin to paw through. By the time the men recovered from the shock, a million or more Gram troops would be here, weapons and all, with more following. The day passed slowly, and nothing happened. Nervously, he watched the front of the plant. It shouldn't be taking so long if Gurr was successful. Late into the night, he waited. Men walked in and out of the installation, and dogs barked around the gates. But Gurr did not appear. Gurr had failed. Ilk was gone. Only he was left. And still, he didn't know what had happened. By morning, Pid was in complete despair. He knew that the twenty-first Grum expedition to this planet was near the point of complete failure. Now it was all up to him. He saw that workers were arriving in great numbers, rushing through the gates. He decided to take advantage of the apparent confusion and started to shape himself into a man. A dog walked past the woods where he was hiding. "'Hello,' the dog said. "'It was Gur. "'What happened?' Pid asked, with a sigh of relief. "'Why were you so long? Could you get in?' "'I don't know,' Gurr said, wagging his tail. "'I didn't try.' "'Pid was speechless. "'I went hunting,' Gurr said complacently. "'This form is ideal for hunting, you know. "'I went out to gate with another dog.' "'But the expedition, your duty—' "'I changed my mind,' Gurr told him. "'You know, Pilot, I never wanted to be a detector.' "'But you were born a detector.' "'That's true,' Gurr said. "'But it doesn't help. "'I always wanted to be a hunter.' Pid shook his entire body in annoyance. ''You can't,'' he said, very slowly, as one would explain to a grumbling. ''The hunter shape is forbidden to you.'' ''Not here it isn't,'' Ger said, still wagging his tail. ''Let's have no more of this,'' Pid said angrily. ''Get into that installation and set up your displacer. i will try to overlook this heresy.'' ''No,'' Gurs said. ''I don't want to come here. They'd ruin it for the rest of us.'' ''He's right.'' A nearby oak tree said. Ilk, Pid gasped. Where are you? Branches stirred. I'm right here, Ilg said. I've been thinking. But you're cursed. Pilot, Gurr said sadly. Why don't you wake up? Most of the people on Grum are miserable. Only custom makes us take the cursed shape of our ancestors. Pilot, Ilg said. All Grum are born shapeless. And being born shapeless, all Grum should have freedom of shape, Gurr said. Exactly, Elg said, but they will never understand. Now excuse me, I want to think. And the oak tree was silent. Pid laughed humorously. The men will kill you off, he said, just as they killed off all the other expeditions. No one from Grum has been killed, Ger told him. The other expeditions are right here. Alive? Certainly. The men don't even know we exist. That dog I was hunting with is a Grum from the Twelfth Expedition. There are hundreds of us here, pilot. We like it. PID tried to absorb it all. He had always known that the lower castes were lax in caste consciousness. But this was preposterous. This planet's secret menace was freedom. Drown us, pilot, Gur said. We've got a paradise here. Do you know how many species there are on this planet? An uncountable number. There's a shape to suit every need. PID ignored them. Traitors. He'd do the job all by himself so men were unaware of the presence of the Guam. Getting near the reactor might be not so difficult after all. The others had failed in their duty because they were of the lower castes, weak and irresponsible. Even the pilots among them must have been secretly sympathetic to the cult of shapelessness the chief had mentioned, or the alien planet could never have swayed them. What sheep to assume for his attempt? Pitt considered. A dog might be best. Evidently, dogs could wander pretty much where they wished. If something went wrong, Pid could change his shape to meet the occasion. The Supreme Council will take care of all of you, he snarled, and shaped himself into a small brown dog. I am going to set up the display for myself. He studied himself for a moment, bared his teeth at Gurr, and loped toward the gate. He loped for about ten feet, and stopped in utter horror. The smells rushed at him from all directions, smells in a profusion and variety he had never dreamed existed, Smells that were harsh, sweet, sharp, heavy, mysterious, overpowering. Smells that terrified, alien and repulsive and inescapable. The odors of earth struck him like a blow. He curled his lips and held his breath. He ran on for a few steps and had to breathe again. He almost choked. He tried to remold his dog nostrils to be less sensitive. It didn't work. It wouldn't, so long as he kept the dog shape. An attempt to modify his metabolism didn't work either. this in the space of two or three seconds he was rooted in his tracks fighting the smells wondering what to do then the noises hit him they were a constant and staggering roar, through which every tiniest whisper of sound stood out clearly and distinctly sounds upon sounds more noise than he had ever heard before at one time in his life the woods behind him had suddenly become a madhouse utterly confused he lost control and became shapeless he half ran half flowed into a nearby bush There he reshaped, obliterating the offending dog ears and nostrils with vicious strokes of his thoughts. The dog shape was out, absolutely. Such appalling sharpness of senses might be fine for a hunter such as Ger. He probably gloried in them, but another moment of such impressions would have driven Pid the pilot mad. What now? He lay in the bush and thought about it, while gradually his mind threw off the last effects of the dizzying sensory assault. He looked at the gate, men standing there evidently had noticed his fiasco. They were looking in another direction. A man? Well, it was worth a try. Studying the men at the gate, Pid carefully shaped himself into a facsimile, a synthesis, actually, embodying one characteristic of that, another of this. He emerged from the side of the bush opposite the gate, on his hands and knees. He sniffed the air, noting that the smells the men nostrils picked up weren't unpleasant at all. In fact, some of them were decidedly otherwise. It had just been the acuity of the dog nostrils, the number of smells they had detected, and the near brilliance with which they had done so that had shocked him. Also, the sounds weren't half so devastating. Only relatively close sounds stood out. All else was an undertailed whispering. Evidently, Pid thought, it had been a long time since men had been hunters. He tested his legs. Standing up and taking a few clumsy steps, thud a foot on ground, dragged the other leg forward in a heavy arc, thud, rocking from side to side, he marched back and forth behind the bush. His arms flapped as he sought balance, his head wobbled on his neck until he remembered to hold it up. Head up, eyes down, he missed seeing a small rock. His heel turned on it, he sat down hard. The ankle hurt. Pid curled his man lips and crawled back into the bush. The man-shape was too unspeakably clumsy. It was offensive to plod one step at a time. Body held rigidly upright, arms wobbling. There had been a deluge of sense impressions in the dog-shape. There was dull, stiff, half-alive inadequacy to the man-shape. Besides, it was dangerous, now that Pitt thought it over, as well as distasteful. He couldn't control it properly. It wouldn't look right. Someone might question him. It was too much about men he didn't... Couldn't know. The planting of the displacer was too important a thing for him to fumble again. Only luck had kept him from being seen during the sensory onslaught. The displacer in his buddy pouch pulsed and tugged, urging him to be on his way toward the distant reactor room. Grimly, Pid let out the last breath he had taken with his man lungs, and dissolved the lungs. What shape to take? Again he studied the gate, the men standing beside it, the building beyond it, which was the all important reactor. A small shape was needed, a fast one, an unobtrusive one. He lay and thought. The bush whistled above him. A small brown shape had fluttered down to light on a twig. It hopped to another twig, twittering. Then it fluttered off in a flash and was gone. That, Pitt thought, was it. A sparrow that was not a sparrow rose from the bush a few moments later. An observer would have seen it circle the bush, diving, hedge-hopping, even looping, as if practising all manoeuvres possible to sparrows. Pid tensed his shoulder muscles and climbed his wings. He slipped off to the right, approached the bush at what seemed breakneck speed, though he knew this was only because of his small size. At the last second he lifted his tail, not quite quickly enough, he swooped up and over the top of the bush, but his legs brushed the top leaves. His beak went down, and he stumbled in air for a few feet back forward. He blinked beady eyes as if at a challenge, back toward the bush at a fine clip, again up and over, this time cleanly. He chose a tree, zoomed into its network of branches, wove a web of flight, working his way around and around the trunk, over and under brushes that flashed before him, through crutches with no more than a feather's breath to spare. At last he rested on a low branch, and found himself chirping in delight. The tree extruded a feeler from the branch he sat on and touched his wings and tail. Interesting, said the tree. I'll have to try that shape sometime. Ilg. Twitle, hissed Pid, growing a mouth in his chest to hiss it. Then he did something that caused Ilg to exclaim in outrage. Pid flew out of the woods, over the underbrush and across the open space toward the gate. This body would do the trick. This body would do anything. He rose in a matter of a few sparrow heartbeats to an altitude of a hundred feet. From here the gate, the men, the building were small, sharp shapes against a green-brown mat. Pid found that he could see not only with unaccustomed clarity, but with a range of vision that astonished him. To right and to left he could see far into the hazy blue of the sky, and the higher he rose, the farther he could see. He rose higher. The displacer pulsed, reminding him of the job he had to do. He stiffened his wings and glided, regretfully putting aside his desires to experiment with this wonderful shape, at least for the present. After he planted the displacer, he would go off by himself for a while and do it just a little more, somewhere where Ilg and Gur wouldn't see him, before the Grom army arrived and the invasion began. He felt a tiny twinge of guilt, as he circled. It was evil to want to keep this alien, flying shape any longer than was absolutely necessary to the performance of his duty. It was a device of the shapeless one. But what had Ilg said? All Grom are born shapeless. It was true. Grom children were amorphous until old enough to be instructed in the cast shape of their ancestors. Maybe it wasn't too great a sin to author your shape then, just once in a long while. After all, one must be fully aware of the nature of evil in order to meaningfully reject it. He had fallen lower in circling. The of pulse had strengthened. For some reason it irritated him. He drove higher on strong wings, circled again. Air rushed past him, a smooth, whispering flow, pierced by his beak, streaming invisibly past his sharp eyes, moving along his body in tiny turbulences that moved his feathers against his skin. It occurred to him, or rather struck him with considerable force, that he was satisfying a longing of his pilot cast that went far deeper than piloting. He drove powerfully with his wings, felt tones across his back, shot forward and up. He thought of the controls of his ship. He imagined flowing into them, becoming part of them, as he had so often done, and for the first time in his life the thought failed to excite him. No machine could compare with this. What he would give to have wings of his own. Get from my side, shapeless one. The displacer must be planted, activated. All Grom depended on him. He eyed the building far below. He would pass over it. The displacer would tell him which window to enter, which window was so near the reactor that he could do his job before the men even knew he was about. He started to drop lower, and the hawk struck. It had been above him. His first inkling of danger was the sharp pain of talons in his back and the stunning blow of a beak across his head. Dazed, he let his back go, shapeless. His body substance flowed from the grasp of the talons. He dropped a dozen feet and resumed sparrow-shape hearing an astonished squawk from the attacker. He banked and looked up. The hawk was eyeing him. Talons spread again. The sharp beak gaped. The hawk swooped. Pid had to fight as a bird, naturally. He was four hundred feet above the ground. So he became an impossibly deadly bird. He grew to twice the size of the hawk. He grew a foot-long beak with a double razor's edge. He grew talons like six-inch scimitars. His eyes gleamed a red challenge. The hawk broke flight, squalling in alarm. Frantically, tail down and widespread, it thundered its wings and came to a dead stop six feet from Pid. Looking thoughtfully at Pid, it allowed itself to plummet. It fell a hundred feet, spread its wings, stretched its neck, and flew off so hastily that its wings became blurs. Pid saw no reason to pursue it. Then after a moment, he did. He glided, keeping the hawk in sight, thoughts racing, feeling the newness, the power, the wonder of freedom, of shape freedom. He didn't want to give it up. The bird shape was wondrous. He would experiment with it. Later he might tire of it for a time and assume another, a crawling or running shape, or even a swimming one. The possibilities for excitement, for adventure, for fulfillment and simple sensual pleasure were endless. Freedom of shape was, obviously, now you thought in it, the Grom birthright, and the caste system was artificial. Obviously." A device for political and priestly benefit. Obviously. Go away, shapeless one, this does not concern you. He rose to a thousand feet, two thousand three. The displacer's pulse grew feebler and finally vanished. At four thousand feet he released it, and watched it spin downward, vanish into a cloud. Then he set out after the hawk, which was now only a dust on the horizon. He would find out how the hawk had broken flight as it had Skidded on air, he wanted to do that, too. There were so many things he wanted to learn about flying. In a week, he thought he should be able to duplicate all the skill that millennia had evolved into birds. Then his new life would really begin. He became a torpedo shape with huge wings and sped after the hawk.